Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Let us go to the phone line right now, and that extends across the desk to our guest, and that happens to be one of my very, very dearest friends, Dr. History. Good morning. Good morning. And we're not on a phone line. Well, yeah, we are. Oh, we are? Yeah, this is a phone line back to the studio. Oh, I thought you and me. Here I am looking at you. Well, we can't be on the phone line in the (laughs) studio, but in order to get you on the air, you have to be on the phone line to the studio. You know, another thing, Zeb, as I look at how well... Would you quit correcting me? (laughs) As as I look at how well organized your desk is, I can't imagine you losing anything. Ladies and gentlemen, in case case you're not aware, this will be the last week for Dr. History on our program. (laughs) No, they, no, they say that a clean a clean desk is the sign of a sick mind. So you're fine. No, I am not because I had that paper that we're looking for in my hands when you walked in the studio, <laughs> and uh, I have a penchant for losing things. And as far as my uh, your reference to my my messy desk, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't say any better for myself. Uh, what are we going to talk about? Today? Well, I just got to tell you, last week I went up. My wife and I went up to Coeur d'Alene to visit my daughter for a week. My grandkids and i gotta tell you folks anybody that's never been up to northern idaho it is beautiful country up there and you go up to lake coeur d'alene and ponderé and go on over to uh, uh glacier national park and then on up into canada there's actually a great buffalo jump just above a the what? border buffalo jump where they used to run the buffalo off the cliff Yes, I it's, remember it, you telling us about yeah, that. It's, yeah, uh, it's really a well-done visitor center, and it's called Smashed In Head Buffalo Jump. What a quaint name. Yeah. and uh, so You know, it, after you take that jump, you probably won't want to do it again, <laughs> would you? Well, the, the, the buffalo didn't. No. So, But anyway, folks, if you get a chance, that's a great road trip up into northern Idaho, up into Montana, Canada, right up in there. How high was it, that cliff? You know, I, I don't remember now. It's been about eight or ten years since we've been there, but it's it's definitely worth the stop. Really, just in there in southern Canada, and that's basically how they, the Indians at that time, harvested the buffalo. That's yes, some yeah. of them. And I understand there's actually one over here in Minidoka County. I was told, really, somewhere out there. Yeah, I, I've got a friend that's going to hopefully take me out there one of these days. Hopefully, there wasn't somebody down below going, "Oh, look, here they come." <laughs> So today, Zeb, I've got, uh, I really like this story because it's told by the author. It's told by the guy that actually experienced this. Oh. So in August of 1875, there's a 19-year-old guy by the name of Charles Walgamot. Oh. You've heard of him. Yeah. He arrived by stagecoach at the Rock Creek, Idaho Territory, which is just a few miles from where we're sitting right now. Yep. And it was uh, his older sister, Irene, and her husband, Charles Trotter, managed the Rock Creek Station. And as a stop on the stagecoach, stagecoach line that ran from Kelton, Utah to the Dalles, Oregon, and the Rock Creek Station was also a stopping place along the Oregon Trail. But from 1841, when the trail was first met, thousands of people came across this, and, you know, that's when it was desert, it was sagebrush, it was it was a dry place. But this Charles Walgamot uh, stayed here for a number of years, and so uh, in the 1870s and 1880s, and uh, he's one that is telling these stories. Uh, when he turned 19, like I say, he came out here. Um, he uh, actually got married. 
and stayed here for a number of years with his wife. Uh, they helped supply goods for the miners and the ranchers around this area. But anyway, he actually died in 1937 at the age of 80. I got a question right there. You said that the families were the Trotter families right. and the Walgamot families. Are there any of their descendants that perhaps were raised and still stayed here? Well, uh, Walgamot actually moved up into Montana for a while and lived there with some of his family. And then actually in his latter years, he actually moved down to Los Angeles uh, to be with some family down there. I see. So I don't know that he has anybody still hanging around here. I see. Okay. So this is the story about a guy by the name of Dave Simpson. Okay. okay? Mm-hmm. And now... I'm telling this in in Charles's verbiage, his words, so, you know, uh, keep that in mind. And that's why I like this story, because I think it's pretty much accurate. Mm -hmm. So Dave Smith was a blacksmith. He came from Oregon, settled on the old Oregon Trail at Rock Creek Station, just over here a few miles in. And he was a blacksmith. Now, he was a single man. He was about 35 years old, and they describe him as being a rather large fellow. Uh, what's a large? <laughs> like Kelton Hatch of the fishing game. Uh, just large, big. I don't know how. Oh, anyway. Okay. But he had a good disposition. People liked him. He had friends all over this county, right in this area. But after a time, people rumored by uh, the small cattleman that Dave Simpson was a horse thief. Uh-oh. And that his blacksmith shop only gave him an excuse to be here. Oh. Now, rumor had it that Simpson was the leader of a gang of horse thieves who operated throughout Nevada, Idaho, and Montana. And if these rumors were true, Dave Simpson must have been a pretty interesting guy because his reputation for honesty, truth among the people that he had business with, he was considered just, you know, uh, an honest guy. He was had an excellent reputation. All right. But still, you know, it was known that Simpson made a lot of night rides, quote. Oh, really? He yeah. liked riding in the At evening? night. I and, uh, however, he could always explain his absence. And from the fact that he was accused of horse stealing, only made was only made by the small cattlemen. Okay. The people at the trader store and over here at Rock Creek along the stage roads, uh, stage roads they didn't take him too seriously uh, because it was just the small cattlemen that were kind of uh, trying to say something was going on here. All right. Anyway, so under the existing custom and ruling established by the cowmen, there was a big distinction between horse stealing and taking the other fellow's cow. No, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. There's a big distinction. The big distinction between horse theft and and, and stealing a cow. Yes. Oh. So uh, legalizing one and making the other one punishable by hanging. Which Whoa! You, which you know, you steal a guy's horse, you're in trouble. Yeah. And sometimes without trial at the hands of the small cowmen or whoever. Now, the larger cattlemen rarely resorted to this measure. They didn't get quite that carried away. But Now, wait a minute. They did, though. Well, some did, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It happened, yeah. sure. Uh, but by, uh, by a rule of the Cattlemen's Association, calves without mark or brand that were not following their mamas were ter- termed mavericks. Yep. And could be branded by anyone having a registered brand. It was supposed that the calf should be at least nine months old. But custom soon ignored the age limit uh, if it so happened that a cowman accidentally <laughs> stole his neighbor's calf and was caught. He was expected to just return the calf. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But if a man accidentally put his saddle on another guy's horse, they hung him by the neck till he was dead. 
there wasn't really fair and equitable treatment. No, there wasn't. But mm. like say, a man's horse, you do not touch another man's horse. Yeah. Well, anyway, as time went on, Dave Simpson's habits seemed always the same. Each day, he could be heard pounding red-hot iron in his blacksmith shop. Some nights, his horse was missing from the picket rope or the pasture. But daylight the next morning usually found Dave in his shop and his horse in the customary place. He didn't get a lot of sleep. No. It was a sure thing that no one could personally accuse Dave Simpson of horse stealing unless he was sure that they had the drop on him. Really? Okay. So Simpson, now keep this in mind, Simpson was a good shot and anything but a coward. And his six-shooter was just as much a part of his dress as was his shirt. He kept that. Uh, that pistol, uh, that shooter right next to his hip all day long. It amazes day. me that you said they were really good shots because back in those days, the recoil from the pistols especially, yeah, that took a lot of practice. <laughs> it did, and, and evidently he was good. Yeah. Well, the stock business, especially the cattle industry at that time, was in a peculiar position in the Snake River Valley. The Shoe Soul brand, which you have heard of. It's right over here. Yeah, owned by Barley Herald, consisted of considerably better than one. 100,000 head of cattle, which ranged in the Goose Creek Mountains, that's to the the south of us, in the summertime, and the lowlands of the Snake River Valley in the winter, right where we're at here. Wow. Right here. Right where our office is. There was cows. There used to be a whole bunch of cow pies right here. Sitting right here. We won't go any farther on that road. Anyway, yeah, so it made possible for the small cattlemen to kind of augment their herds very rapidly and still keep within the law. Now, a story is told, again, this is Charles Wagamont, he's telling this yeah. story. A story is told on Uncle John Haley that illustrates conditions that... Uncle time, John. Uncle John, that time uh, pretty well. Uncle John Haley was the owner of the stage line running from Kelton, Utah to the Dalles, Oregon. On one of his trips over the road, he uh, and his uh, outfit stopped at Rock Creek's Rock Creek Crossing, right over here, situated about a quarter of a mile below uh, present Twin Falls. Now, t- he wanted to buy a few tons of hay for a one of his stations. The owner, a Mr. Butler, refused to sell any hay, telling them that he needed it to feed his own cattle. Well, asked how the cattle business was and how much stock he had, Butler told him that he had located at the Rock Creek Crossing Ranch two years before, and at that time he had one yoke of steers and one milk cow, and by careful management had increased his herd to 35 head. Oh, oh really? Careful yeah. management. Whereupon Uncle John told Butler that he would like to buy his hay, but he would very much like better to buy that milk cow uh. that produced 30... <laughs> Produced 35 calves in two years. What a cow. Yeah. University of Idaho did a study on that cow. Yeah, 35 yeah. in two years. Yeah, you know, it was a good cow. So, anyway, moving on. It was along about the fall of 1878. Uh, uh, Charles Walgamont had gone to a place called Dry Creek. Uh, the ranch was then owned by a man named Harrington, a very good man. He was in the horse business. He said, I boarded and roomed with Mr. Harrington and had been invited to use his desk. When I wanted to write uh, one evening, when I was opening the desk, I found lying before me a sheet of paper with these words written across it. Quote, be careful, you are watched. Okay. Is this, this that the same back. Harrington that they named the Harrington Fork up in I, the South Hills? I think Hills? so. I yeah. think so. So keep that, that in mind, that note. Yeah. 
He says, I put the top of the desk down and wondered what that meant. Was it intended for me? If it was, I could not figure out what it was for. He said, I knew some mysterious force was working and felt that ultimately I would hear all about it, but was not aware that things would develop as soon as they did. So here we go. The Cattlemen's Association had employed a detective to catch Dave Simpson stealing horses. And in cases like this, the detective usually finds evidence. Uh, at least this one did, sufficiently that the small cowman determined that Dave Simpson must hang. Uh-oh. He knew too much about the conditions on the range. He was a dangerous man and against their interests. And that very night, three or four men and a, quote, uh, well, armed with rifles and shotgun, they waited in hiding until a stool pigeon informed them that Dave Simpson had gone to bed in his blacksmith shop. Uh-oh. So with guns fully cocked, they entered the open door quietly, each man pointing his gun at Simpson's head, commanding him, hands up. And they said, Dave, we're not afraid of you. Well, Simpson said, well, I should think not. You got four guns pointed at my head. Mm, That was a good, uh, he assumed the right thing. Yeah, he did. Well, immediately a horseman was sent east, uh, crossing Dry Creek and traveling east onto the Raft River country, notifying cattlemen to meet at a point designated in the foothills west of Albion in the Cedars where Dave Simpson, after trial, would be hung. Holy cow, they had, they already, had this all figured out. Yeah, they, they already figured he was going to be hung. So My. Anyway, just as we were sitting down to breakfast at the Harrington Ranch, four horsemen drew reins at the front door. Mr. Harrington invited them in. The party consisted of three cowmen and Dave Simpson, who was in irons. The cook, who was a man who used to these sudden additions to the family table, soon arranged the extra places, and they all sat down to eat breakfast. The cowmen stacked their guns in the corner. Dave Simpson ate with his hands handcuffed still. Oh, one big happy party. Yeah, yeah. And of the people who sat at the breakfast table that morning, uh, it was, he says, myself and a friend of mine named Asel Murray. He says, we were both outsiders, as it were, and we went to our separate duties and saw no more of this crowd until we were called to an early dinner, which passed off as did the meal before, with Simpson eating in handcuffs. At the close of dinner, everyone excepting Simpson and myself rose and stepped outside. We were alone, I said. So, so he's with he's with, standing outside with Simpson right now. The guy in the hand. Uh, they had stepped out. I so he's uh, uh, Walgamot is standing next to Simpson. Okay. And he says, "What is this all about, Simpson?" Simpson said, "I am accused of horse stealing, and from what I can gather from their conversation, they intend to take me to the Cedars, this side of Albin, and hang me." That's pretty calm response. Yeah. He says, I felt sorry for Simpson and said, Dave, step into that room. That window's up and opens on the creek, which is heavily willowed from here to the canyon. Simpson looked at his handcuffs and hesitated. And before he could act, the door opened. And Simpson's, uh, it was, he was told to come on. Oh, they So he had a little, little chance to escape. Yeah. Well, Asel Murray, the other guy, had been ordered to bring their horses in the outfit, left accompanied by Mr. Harrington. He said, I would have liked to bid Simpson goodbye and say a consoling word if I could have thought of anything, but I did not. It was better to treat the circumstances with indifference, and there was no goodbye said. Okay, now, along in the after part of the night, I was awakened by men noisily entering the dining room and could hear them placing sagebrush on the fireplace fire and by their voices recognized them as the cattlemen on their return after supposedly hanging Dave. Yeah. 
Mr. Harrington came into my room and asked if one of the boys could sleep with me. I told him that he could. I got up and took a peek into the room. To my surprise, I saw Simpson sitting by the fireplace, still in irons. After breakfast the next morning, I heard that they were going to send him to Silver City, the county seat, which they did. Mr. Harrington told him that they had taken Simpson, Simpson to the Cedars west of Alabin, where they met a number of cattlemen. They placed, placed a rope over Simpson's neck and gave him a trial. Okay, so he's sitting on the horse, neck, uh, you know, rope over his neck, and now they're going to give him a trial. Well, a man by the name of James Iverson, who lived at Cottonwood, some miles west of Oakley. Right up here. Yes. He took it upon himself to talk for Simpson, urging the crowd to turn him over to the law. Harrington, who was a very just fellow, also urged that it would be better for all, and a majority voted to turn him over to the authorities. Well, Mr. Harrington also told me that the note inscribed, quote, be careful you are watched, had been slipped under his door the night before that I had found it. So it was for Mr. Harrington that, for some reason, was being watched. Holy smokes, the plot thickens. Yeah. Anyway, he says, the reader will see that when I wrote the story, I was prejudiced in favor of Simpson, and in this I may have been wrong, and the cattleman may have been right. Simpson may have deserved hanging, but this impression was stamped on my young mind at the time, and I have never gotten entirely over it. Simpson was never brought to trial, and I doubt if any of these men would have appeared against him. He escaped during a jailbreak, and I understand that sometime later he was killed when he resisted an officer who arrested him for a crime committed in Washington Territory. Holy cow. So that's the story of Dave Simpson, which I'm going to throw this out. I'll bet nobody's heard of Dave Simpson. Of course, maybe nobody's heard of uh, Rock Creek well, and some of these other places. I've got, I've got a couple of questions. You mentioned all these various ranches uh-huh. that are right around here. Yes. As a matter of fact, Dry Creek and over to Goose Creek and then up here at uh, by Strickers and everything yeah. else. Whatever happened to all the old buildings? You know, that's a sad thing because I imagine a lot of them got torn down, burned, uh, you know, destroyed. Um, I remember years ago as a kid, I could go over to the city of Rocks out there the other side of Albin and Almo and Elba, and there was an old stage station uh, log cabin over there. I know where you mean. I've been there. Yeah, and it's pretty much, there's nothing left, really. But it amazes me. You were talking about these various ranchers and how the one guy got on his horse and loped over to Malta as if it was just, you know, a mile away, and it's not. (laughs) And I just was curious as to, there's no preservation of any of the old ranch uh, holdings or whatever. You know, uh, years ago, I went out to to Bridge, out the other side of Malta. There's a little tiny place called Bridge where my dad bought a couple of horses, and they had an old log cabin post office out there, and I've been wanting to go back out there and see if it's still standing out there. Wow. But, you know, there was a lot of cattle drives that actually went through this area over to the uh, uh, southern Oregon, northern Nevada area, over in that area. Yeah. So there was a lot of cattle that went through this whole area. I mean, people think of Texas and Kansas and Nebraska, but Idaho was a huge, huge uh, cattle industry. So Simpson, the blacksmith, was never tried and convicted for his theft. Right. But he got killed up in Washington for what? Resisting an officer. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So whatever, you know. Wow. So he must have been 
guilty of something yeah, if he didn't want to be taken into custody. Holy smokes. So, Where did you find that story? Is it a book written by Wagamott himself? It is, yes. Oh. This, and I've got several stories of his that we're going to relate in the next little bit. Is that picture on the cover of which uh, was taken in this area? I Yes, I, I'm sure it was. I haven't read it, but there's, there are pictures in here that, that that he has. Where do you find all these old books? You must go to a lot of places. I Every time I travel, I, I try to find used bookstores. Really? Yeah, because you go into a used bookstore, you can buy books for two or three bucks. There's a big place up in Portland called uh, Powell's. Powell's Bookstore. It's a city block. It's like four stories high. They've got millions of books. And, and I always. Basically, ever, anything that was ever written? Pretty much. I yeah. go in there and I usually come out with half a dozen books. And of the Western vein like this. Yeah, I, I like the stories yeah. that are just short enough that I can tell them on the show. You know, it's really good because um, last week on Friday, a lady called me and she said, I love your segment with Dr. History that you have on your program. And could we do more of the local history? And you just tied right into that, okay. and I hadn't even had a chance to talk to you about And I've got some more stories in here by Walgamot that will hit yeah. in the next month or so. Didn't he get into the sheep business at one time? I, it doesn't say. No, he he mostly just helped with uh, like the goods to sell to the miners and the ranchers. I see. And then there was a time when he actually uh, went up into uh, Montana for a while and spent a number of years up in there. And his name was Charles, right? Charles Walgamot. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he married a gal from actually from right here in this area named Letty Gunn was her name. Letty Gunn? Uh, in 1879. They sure had fun with names they back did. in those days. But they, like I say, they actually went up into the Wood River area for a while, up in Haley, and worked up in there. And like I say, they went up into Montana, came back to this area in 1917 uh, until about the 1930s. And then he went down into California where he died uh, with his uh, family, grandchildren. Holy and cow. Stuff, so. Good job.